Well, Preston was scheduled to speak today, but he came down with COVID earlier this week, so I offered to step in, as did Greg. Then on Wednesday, I came down with an upper respiratory thing. Uh, don't think I'm contagious, but normally I would invite you to come forward, but uh, just stay back there. Um, Preston and I became a part of a men's Bible study fellowship group in Fuquay this year, this fall. I know Greg is involved and has been for many years in Raleigh. Anybody else here a part of Bible study fellowship right now? Nope. Um, we knew with all the, the reading and study involved that is associated with the BSF group that uh, eventually Preston and I both would would pull from that study for a message, and I'm going to do it first this morning since you're not here. Um, it comes from 1 Kings 18 through 20, and uh, it's a significant portion of the ministry and the life of the prophet, prophet Elijah. But before we begin this morning, join me in asking the Lord's presence and direction in breaking together the Word of God this morning. Lord Jesus, we come in your name. We thank you that though we're small in number, we have a quorum this morning because two or three or more have gathered in your name, and I thank you that you're here in our midst. I thank you for the promise of your presence. I thank you for the promise that you said you would never leave us nor forsake us. That, lo, I'm with you even until the end of the age. What comfort those words bring this morning. And thinking about the song that Jason was singing, though the seas rage about us, I need not be afraid. For I know that you love me, and your love never fails. So God, we come this morning with thankful hearts, and we empty ourselves that we might be filled with your spirit and bring praise and honor and glory to your name. We ask it in your name. Amen. You will remember that um, Elijah had confronted the king of Israel, Ahab, and told him there would be no rain in the land until he said so. Ahab was the eighth and the most evil king of Israel. What a title to own. He was described in 1 Kings 16.30 this way, Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And Ahab was married to Jezebel. What a match. The daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and he without much concern for the will of God, went to serve Baal and worshipped him. In 1 Kings 16, 32-33, the scripture says, So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah, which was a wooden symbol of a female deity. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. What a pair they made. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Because of the sin of Ahab, the Lord sent Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead to prophesy to Ahab. And he said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Afterward, God led Elijah to the brook of Cherith, east of Jordan, to hide him 
from Ahab's anger. The Lord provided water for the prophet from that brook, and he was fed bread and meat by ravens. This was somewhat of a humbling experience for Elijah, as ravens were not considered clean birds. But he did not question the Lord's direction, but followed in obedience. In time, the brook dried up because there was a drought. There had been no rain. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah and directed him to a widow's home in Zarephath. I won't go into detail about what happened during this time, but we'll say that God supernaturally provided for Elijah's needs, and he used him to renew the faith of the widow and to raise her son from the dead, to which the widow replied in 1 Kings 17.24, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of God is in your mouth. In your mouth is truth. Well, three years passed since Elijah delivered the word of the Lord to Ahab, and there had been no dew and no rain during that whole time. In chapter 18, verse 1, the Lord said to Elijah, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Elijah didn't need a lot of direction. Whatever God told him to do, he did it. He was on his way to confront Ahab again when he met Obadiah who was over the house of Ahab and had been sent out into the countryside to find any spring of water that they might feed or give to the cattle and the sheep and the horses, the mules, to save them from dying. Obadiah was a God-fearing man who had saved a hundred of the Lord's prophets from Jezebel by hiding them in two caves and providing them with bread and water. That was no small task keeping a hundred men from being found, and providing for their physical, physical sustenance. Obadiah was a faithful man of God. Obadiah recognized Elijah right away, and he fell on his face before him. Elijah said to him, Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. Obadiah replied, What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when they said he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear they could not find you. And now you're saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah's here. Obadiah was concerned that he would tell the king that Elijah was here, but then the spirit of the Lord would carry him someplace he didn't know about. And as a result, the king would kill him. Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, and he told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you've followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 1 Kings 18, 20 through 29 tells how Ahab summoned these prophets and how Elijah challenged them to a contest 
to see whose God would receive an offering of oxen by sending fire from heaven. For hours, these false prophets called out to their false god, Baal. There, of course, was no answer. Elijah mocked them in the afternoon and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or maybe he's on a journey. He's on vacation. Or perhaps he's asleep and he needs to be awakened. For several more hours, they cried out with loud voices, but no fire came to burn up the offering they had prepared. 1 Kings 18, 30 through 35 tells us, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood, and he cut the ox in pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four pitchers with water, and pour it on the burned offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar, and he, it also, he also filled the trench with water. Then at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah prayed these words, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Elijah then told Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a roar of a heavy shower. Elijah went up to Mount Carmel to wait on God's answer. In faith he told his servant to tell Ahab to get in his chariot and get going lest the rain slow him down. Then the Lord sent the promised rain. And while Ahab rode in his chariot to Jezreel, Elijah ran faster and ran ahead of him. The demonstration of God's power and authority through both fire and rain was epic. The hand of the Lord was truly on Elijah. He was a great man of faith and obedience until he wasn't. <laughs> Chapter 19 begins, Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose 
and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough. It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. How quickly things can change. Elijah had confronted the evil king Ahab and the false prophets in addition to all the nation of Israel. He did so with confidence and a surety of faith in the power and provision of the holy God. He showed no fear. Then the words of one woman sent him running for the hills. His faith suddenly failed him. He ran south about 90 miles in the other direction from where God had brought him to. After one of the most victorious displays of the faithfulness and power of God recorded to that time, Elijah turned tail and ran, and exhausted and had spent, he just wanted to die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Often in life, with victorious moments in our walk with God, we find ourselves succumbing to fear, insecurity, and spiritual exhaustion. And suddenly we don't know how we miss God, but we know we're not where we're supposed to be. I've had two experiences in my life where I wanted to die. The first was as an almost 18-year-old unbeliever who had already run so hard from God that I was spent, and I just wanted my life to be over. But God had another plan. I was tired of living, but I was afraid to die. I met Jesus in the early hours of that morning, December 1st, 1973. He raised me from the dead to new life in him. The second time was when my first wife left me, and I thought my life and ministry were over. I was tired of trying to do the right thing. It always seemed to backfire on me. So for several months, I ran in the opposite direction of the Lord. I'd been like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. I'd been staying on the farm, but living in the far country in my mind. Suddenly, I was the younger brother, and within a few months, I could no longer rationalize living in disobedience to the God I knew to be true. And like the prodigal son one morning, I literally said, I must arise and go to my father's house. I don't know what triggered the fear of Jezebel's words and the resulting depression that overcame Elijah. I'm sure it was fueled by exhaustion. I don't know what caused him to suddenly lose faith in a faithful father. But it was what happened next that gives me great comfort an eternal optimism concerning the grace and goodness of a loving God. Did God hurl Elijah headlong at his unfaithfulness? No. God revealed himself to Elijah at that time as a compassionate and loving God. 1 Kings 19, 5 through 8 reads this way. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him. 
And he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Oreb, the mountain of God. God sent an angel to minister to his fearful and exhausted servant. He let him sleep, then he fed him. He let him sleep again, and then he fed him again. When Elijah was walking in the power of the Lord and the strength of his might, he was bold and strong. When he was walking in his own strength, he was no different from his fathers before him. This experience reminded me of Peter when Jesus walked on the water. When Peter saw Jesus walking in the water, he immediately wanted to join him. And he did. He was doing it. He was doing it. But then he took his eyes off of Jesus. And he looked down at his circumstances. Where he was instead of where he was. And he began to sink. Elijah had taken his eyes off God's purpose for him. And he looked at Jezebel's threats against him. He was overcome with fear and he ran. But God in his great mercy and grace let him rest. He fed him. He gave him drink. Then he told him to get up and get moving. I've got more work for you to do. At this point, God led Elijah to Horeb, the mountain of God. And this was a journey of almost six weeks that lasted on that food that the angel gave him. During this time, God did not speak directly to Elijah. And when he does speak, it's not in rebuke, but it's with a question. Chapter 19, verses 9 through 21. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for you, Lord, uh, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Then God said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away.
the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you've arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king of Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elijah the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, which means the meadow of dancing. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is how God answers the thing that Elijah replied to him twice. So he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him, and he threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will follow you. And he said, Go back again for what I have done to you. So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. On the mountain of God, the Lord questioned Elijah. He called him by name and he said, what are you doing here? It's a question we may ask, often ask ourselves with no good answer. But when God asks us, we need to give careful consideration and an honest response. Elijah poured out his heart to God. I've been zealous for you, Lord. The people forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets. I'm alone. I'm all alone. And they're pursuing me to kill me. How did the Lord respond? Elijah's at a crucial point in his walk with the Lord. He's in desperate need of hearing from God. He needs comfort and assurance that he's not alone, that God has his back. How quickly he's forgotten what has just happened uh, in God's demonstration to him earlier. The Lord told him to go stand on the mountain before the Lord, before the Lord and God showed up and passed by him. There was a great wind that broke up the rocks on the mountain, but that wasn't God. That was just an example of his power. There was an earthquake, but that wasn't God. It was just a sample of his power. There was fire. I can imagine what's happened recently, the fire that fell from heaven, like the fire that consumed the offering before King Ahab and the prophets of Baal. That kind of fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. That was just a portion of his power being displayed. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. And he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's the small, gentle still voice of God that echoes loudly in our spirits and our souls and that calls us to repent and return and that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. 
Matthew Henry's commentary notes that gracious souls are more affected by the tender mercies of the Lord than by his terrors. The mild voice of him who speaks from the cross or the mercy seat is accompanied with peculiar power in taking possession of the heart. Twice the Lord asked Elijah, what are you doing here? Here. <laughs> Twice the Lord allowed Elijah to pour out his heart, his frustrations, his fears. Then God revealed himself to Elijah, not in his great power, but in his quiet voice that pierced his heart and revived him. The Bible speaks today makes this observation concerning the manifestation of God on Mount Horeb. He expects to see God in thunder and lightning, like his own confrontation with Ahab and on Mount Carmel. However, he needs to see God just as much in the sound that can barely be heard. It was the quiet voice of God that overwhelmed him. Mark Batterson has noted that God often speaks in a whisper, not to make it difficult for us to hear him, but to draw us near to him. When then the Lord said to Elijah, get up and go. There's more work to be done. The Lord responded to Elijah's complaints about what he'd been through with these commands. First, anoint Haziel, king of Aram. Anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king of, over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Oh, and by the way, you're not alone. There are 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee or kissed Baal. God patiently provided for Elijah when he went the wrong way. He listened to his concerns, and then he told him to get up and to go back to work. And he redirected him to where he needed to be. And in the process, he gave him a partner in ministry to help bear the burden so that he would not be alone. Elijah doesn't actually accomplish those first two points that God had for him. They were completed by Elisha, as we see in 2 Kings. Elisha must have been quite a shot in the arm for Elijah. When he placed the mantle on him, Elisha not only gave up his fruitful business and enterprise managing 12 pairs of oxen, but he kissed his parents goodbye, he killed the oxen in his team, and he burned his tools. He was all in for God. Chapter 19 of 1 Kings closes with these words regarding Elisha. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. After Elijah ran in fear from Jezebel's threats, he wanted to die. God wanted him to live. And he fed him and he cared for him until he was strengthened and able to reenter the battle. Elijah was not perfect. The good news is that God always works with imperfect people to accomplish what only he can do to start with. God is faithful to meet us where we are, even when we're not where we're supposed to be. And when we learn the sound of his quiet voice and we repent and redirect, we receive times of refreshing from his presence and we get new marching orders to move on in service to him. Last week, we heard the testimony of a woman who had learned to hear the quiet voice of God. 
and act on his callings and directions. I admit I struggle at times in my walks, desiring Christ to speak loudly, (laughs) you know, in the fire and in the uh, earthquake and the wind. The work is in getting quiet before him. Prostate in prayer, in humility, desiring him above all else to get to that place where we can hear the quiet voice of God. Will you join me this morning in asking God to draw us near and amplify our perception, our hearing, that we might discern his will for our daily lives in keeping with his word and at the urging of the Holy Spirit. Let us purpose to run in service to God like Elijah ran when the rain was coming, faster than chariots and horses, not to run the other way in fear. Let us proclaim to the world that the Lord is God and live our lives that they may see him in us and turn their hearts back to him. Answer us, O Lord, that the people may know if you don't do it, it won't get done. We affirm the scripture in stating, faithful is he who calls us, who will also do it. Let's pray. Father, you know each of us here this morning where we are, where we're supposed to be. If we've been running from you in some area, Lord, I pray that you would, in that still small voice, call us home. If you need to send angels to minister to us, to refresh us, to prepare us again for battle. Lord, our participation this morning is to lay ourselves before you in humility, asking you to do the work in us that you want to do. All of us want to finish well, God, in what you've called us to. We can look back at where we've come from and are amazed at your grace and your goodness and your mercy. But God, we want to look forward with expectant eyes of what you might do next in us. Lord, quiet our souls today. Teach us how to hear your voice and to act on it. I thank you, God, that you don't give up on us. You don't hurl us headlong when we're not faithful, when we are not where we're supposed to be. But you pursue us. You are the great hound of heaven that pursues us to the ends of the earth. And God, we love you for that. Thank you for your persistent love, a love that never fails. In Jesus' name, amen.